This is John Heater. I play Napoleon Dynamite. Um, you're listening to the podcast. Mark and me, although you probably already knew that since you're listening to the podcast, so I guess you can just forget what I said. But anyways, have a killer time listening. Um, uh, go eat a boat agate. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark, and coming up on today's episode, I'm going to be joined by John Heeder. Yes, Napoleon Dynamite himself. If anyone knows me personally as a friend, has met me in the past, has been on Facebook or my Instagram or listened to Skip to the End podcast, you will know that this is one of my favourite films of all time. One of my favourite comedies and so much so, it's a film I watch with one of my best friends every single time we're together. So it really is a big deal today, and I'm so, so happy that I finally sat down with John and got an interview that I'm so, so proud of. But before we get into today's episode, let's talk a little bit more about the previous one. So I was joined by Kat Von D and IMX. This episode was huge. You may have seen on my social media, on my Twitter or my Facebook that I've put out, it is our most downloaded episode I've ever done. So out of 28 episodes with the people like Kevin Smith, Jason Mewes, Sir Anthony Hopkins, Neil Blomkamp, this episode with Kat Von D and IMX has had more downloads than all of those. So I can't begin to thank you all enough for downloading, streaming, listening taking the time to listen to the episode. I've spoken to Kat and she was thrilled with the way it came out. IMX absolutely loved the episode and the interview and as I mentioned on the last episode, they will both be coming back individually to do episodes in the near future. So thank you all again for listening and I really am overwhelmed by the support at the moment. Let's get on to today's episode. So if anyone, like I said, knows me, my love for Napoleon Dynamite is huge. When me and my best friend Rich get together, we sit there and we watch this film Every single time we're together, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, we'll make sure that whenever we meet up, we watch this film. It's a film I never get bored of, it's a film I absolutely adore, and I'm happy to share that this is a guest I've wanted ever since we started. So, I remember actually sitting with Rich and saying I was thinking of starting a solo podcast where I get to interview people one-on-one, and we joked and I said, the one guest I want more than anyone else would be Napoleon Dynamite, for me and him really, it's just a guest that would make our day and I didn't actually think it would ever happen but here I am now sat recording and I've done the interview and I hand on heart mean this it's the best interview I've ever done it's the most fun I've ever had the most relaxed I've ever been and I'm so so excited to share it with you so let's get to it without further ado here's my interview with me and John Heeder. so John thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast my first question for you is did you want to be an actor at a young age or was it something else that you kind of wanted to be when you were growing up I think the first thing I remember wanting to be when I grew up was an artist because I was always into art and then I didn't when I finally got to a certain age realizing what does that mean to be an artist like I don't really want to be a painter but that's to me that's what an artist was was Vincent van Gogh or someone who just painted on canvases and so 
when I got a little bit older, then I was like, oh, I want to do, um, I want to make children's books and illustrate and write children's books. And then a little bit older, and in high school, when I really kind of found I really enjoyed making videos. I made videos for every class project. I made them for friends. I and by, you know, and this is this is in the '90s in high school when I uh, just had my dad's Sony camera, a little sports uh, mini DV camera. Yeah, my brother and I would make videos for everything, and that's when I was. I felt like, oh, I want to get into movies. I want to make movies. And yeah, I acted in my own movies. And I didn't really think acting at the time, but I knew I wanted to get into the film industry. And then it wasn't until college that I, I got into film, uh, into the film program at my uh, university. And part of that is, you know, in any film school, you take acting, you take directing, you kind of try out a little bit of everything. And I really enjoyed it. It was my first real acting class I'd taken. And I really enjoyed it. And I started auditioning for student films and student plays. All, like, you know, low-key, no agents were involved at that time. And yeah. uh, it was just, you know, hey, goofing around. And my friends were like, in the in the film program, were like, hey, do you want to be in my video? You know, or my, my film, my project I got coming up. And that's kind of how it started. So did you still have a go at the old artwork and children's books, or is that something you've put to bed? Well, I actually, all throughout, I got into animation. And actually, that's what I ended up majoring in. I, I got into the film program, and about halfway through the program, my uh, my counselor kind of sat me down and said, hey, they're opening the animation program here. I know you like art, and you like film. So, you know, kind of felt like a natural combination of the two. You, why don't you try out animation? And I was really interested in that. And that's what I ended up graduating in was getting a fine arts and animation degree. And uh, so that's actually probably what I would have pursued more of. Yeah. I knew like it, it kind of worked out at the same time because right around the time I was finishing up my last year or so in the animation uh in the animation program i was we had also shot the film napoleon so it was kind of all worked out like i was planning on moving out to la no matter what i wanted to get a job in animation and i knew california was where most of the animation companies were and uh but you know at the same time i was acting on the side and doing that too so i was kind of thinking well la is a natural place uh it kind of makes sense uh but after the success of napoleon i was still in college and i thought well i should definitely i want to go down this route and um and i did a little bit of animation afterwards but it kind of fell by the wayside on on i say unfortunately i mean i was you know i got busy doing acting and i really enjoyed that and but I've always tried to keep up on, you know, drawing and, and things like that and trying to keep my uh, skills uh, honed and tuned. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, in my later years, I'm trying to pick some of that back up. And I think it would still be fun to do a book sometime. Um, I don't know if, uh, you know, either a book of a collection of illustrations or uh, an actual story or narrative or something to that end uh, i would love to i would love to direct i mean i've always been interested in directing um and i think it would be fun to 
I think a dream would be to direct an animation, an animated short or an animated feature, um, somewhere in that world. Uh, but we'll see, you know, I, it's, it, it's a little hard. It's like, um, the animation I kind of ended up studying was computer animation. And that took a lot of, uh, you know, computer and software know-how. And, uh, you know, at the time I was proficient and pretty good at the software, but it's been 10 plus years. And, uh, and unless you are working at that software for a long time, I think, I think the talent would be there. I just need to dust off the old, uh, that's the problem. You can't really dust off the old software. You gotta get whatever updated versions there are now and with, you know, computers and software, it's constantly being upgraded, new versions. It would it would be a little bit of a, another learning curve I'd have to jump into, but I I haven't thrown that away. I, I'm very much interested in that. The thing is, as well, now you're a father, so I'm sure you're drawing a lot more of your kids for their school stuff, and there must be the opportunity that you want to kind of do an animation for them as well to kind of go, hey, that's daddy, that's daddy's work, you know? Yeah, I. Uh, it, it's funny because I I've done a lot of voice work recently in the past couple of years, and. Um, and I've really enjoyed that. And I don't know if it really, it's the same world, but not because it's the voiceover world. I mean, they you think it's an animation, but you're not really working with the animators. You're not really behind the scenes. You you go to a recording booth and the only people we work with are the writers and the directors. Um, but still, you're somewhat in that world. I mean, I still do get to, I meet the creators and I work with the artists a little bit uh, and I've enjoyed it and for that reason like you said uh, we've had a lot of great times with my kids uh, watching cartoons and animated shows that I've done voice work on and they really enjoyed that and yeah I would love to at some point you know kind of flip it around and do the same thing but instead of voicing creating the animation that would be a lot of fun do you ever surprise your kids and not tell them that you're going to be in a certain episode or something and then just kind of sit there and see if they kind of click when they hear it or is it just a case of right we're watching daddy's work now i think uh i want to say i did that with um i i'm sure i've done that before most of the time they kind of know ahead of time because it's hard to keep a secret for that long (laughs) yeah doing voice for when you do voiceover work, whatever project you're working on, it's, it, is, it doesn't come out for like another year and a half uh, sometimes because they have to animate everything. And uh, my kids get inquisitive, like, hey, what are you working on? Would you go record today? And I was like, well, you know. Um, so it's hard to surprise them. But I think I have done that a couple times where I, I've done that more, I think, with movies in some ways, uh, live action stuff where they'll be watching something like check this out you guys and then i pop up and they're like wait a second (laughs) (laughs) so you just talked about we're obviously wanting to become an actor and the successful role of napoleon dynamite which is i'm sure you're most famous for one of the best comedies i think in the last sort of 30 years i think it's so iconic and so different i remember the first time i watched it i i won't lie i thought what the fuck is this and then i (laughs) and then i watched it again and i was like I love this. I absolutely am obsessed. And it's one of those films that just gets better and better every time you watch it. You notice more and more. What was the audition experience like for that film that's so unique and on such a low budget? Uh, yeah, I, I know... Yeah, that's a weird thing about that film, I think. 
because I hear that all the time from people is, uh, man, oh man, I did not like that film when it first came out or I just didn't get it uh, the first time. But on second and third viewing, I, I finally started to get it and really enjoy it. And I always find that weird and confusing because I'd be like, man, if I didn't like a film or didn't get it or didn't like it, there's never, there's no way I'm, I'm going to give it a second viewing. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't have t- enough time in this world to give these crappy movies a second go. I kind of had um, to uh, I had to digest it and kind of think, what just happened? What the hell I was... Think maybe that's what it is. It's something that it's, it doesn't necessarily hit people as like, oh, this is crappy. They just don't know what to make of it. It's a digestion period. Yeah. Uh, because I get, yeah, I get that all the time. And I think, you know, I've had that... Everybody's had that with a few movies. I, I remember... Um, you know, I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan, and I love their movies. And when Big Lebowski came out, that was the same thing for me. I remember seeing that and hearing, oh, my gosh, like, I'm so excited to see this. The Coen Brothers, one of my favorites. I think Fargo was the last one they did before uh, Big Lebowski, and I loved, you know, Fargo was incredible. And so I watched it, and, and on first viewing, I, I just felt, what is this? This is... I just didn't, I wasn't, it wasn't weirded out. I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, it's kind of weird and it's kind of funny, a little funny, but I just didn't think much of it. And then, you know, I, for whatever reason, I gave it another shot, probably because I felt compelled to and uh, I needed to, like, make sense of it. And now it's one of my favorite comedies ever. It was it's incredible. Um, but going back and answer your, your, your <laughs> no, question. No, the Coen brothers are genius, and I think the first time I watched Big Lebowski, because it's so beautifully shot, all the bowling shots and the yeah. the, the different dream sequences, you kind of, again, you're just kind of bedazzled. You're just sat there going, what just happened? And then when you watch it again and you start to find out a bit more about Donnie and the dude, you're kind of just like, okay, there's actually a story as well as this, and everyone's giving an unbelievable performance, and I'm finding everything visually incredible, and I'm laughing my ass off. So yeah. I do believe it's a film that just gets better and better, and 20 years later, I'm still watching it now as if it's the first time I've ever seen it. <laughs> and it is, it's, and it's such a quotable film. I mean, that's, and maybe it's, maybe it's those kind of films, the ones that are, aren't, it's not strong on story. I mean, you can, if you try to explain what Big Lebowski is about, it's like, well, this guy, he, you know, his rug is stolen. And he wants to get it back. <laughs> Steve thought he was someone else. And yeah. trying to get back. And then he gets kind of, you know, caught up in this web of nothingness. And so, and when you try to describe Napoleon's plot, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, you're just watching it. It's, it's about the characters. It's these films that don't hit you right away because the story doesn't grab you. You can't just, you can't summarize it in one line. And maybe that's what it is about these films. Like, oh, I can't make sense of it right away because it isn't meant to, you know, do that. Like some, you know, any Marvel film, you want to make sense of the plot right away. But you don't. This is more of a character study and kind of creating a world. It's like learning a new language. You're, you know, the first time you try to speak any new language, well, you don't know what you're doing. And then you live in that country for a few weeks, few months, and you're like, oh, okay, and now I'm starting to get it. I, I forgot what the Napoleon Dynamite question was now. Oh, no, you, was, <laughs> you asked about the audition. Like, oh, know, yeah. Like How started. was it? Yeah. No, there was no audition. Uh, it was a very different kind of... Um, what we did is we made a short film. 
And, and back in 2001, uh, Jared Hess, who wrote and directed Napoleon Dynamite, he was a coast, you know, he was a student uh, uh, in the same film program. We had classes together, and he uh, wrote this short script for his directing class. It's like the you know intro. It was a production or a directing class. I can't remember exactly, but um, it's one of those. You know, you write a, a short script and that get, you get it produced. And and he wrote the short script that he came to me about playing another character. And then when his main character, his main actor, didn't work out, he was like, "Hey, I think you can do this." And so it was a short film uh, called Peluca, and it's um, basically. Uh, it's Napoleon, but he's got a different name in, uh, in the short film. But it's the character of Napoleon. And you have, uh, like, Pedro and one other character, and those are really the only characters in the short. So he got me for that. And I think it's because we had been in, you know, we were in a couple class together. We had mutual friends. He, I think he saw one student project I was in and just saw what I was like in real life. I suppose that was my audition, just hanging around me, just say, hey, I think you can do this. That's essentially, you know, the you know, he was a student. It was a student project. And therefore, he didn't have a lot to lose. It's like, okay, it's just, you know, hopefully get a grade. But, you know, Jared, and I knew it. I knew it then and I know it now, you know, the whole time that he had a vision and he really wanted to make, you know, this piece of art. And it wasn't just a grade. It was something that was um he was passionate about and uh so that was my audition process i mean he just gave it to me and i read the script and i told i just 100 percent got it like like you said you know sometimes you you're not quite sure you watch on first watch you're kind of trying to make sense of it i knew right away like i could speak this language i, I read it i was like i know this world i know this guy i i everything about this totally makes sense. And, um, and so, you know, I would like talk to him and say some of the lines and he'd tell me some of the lines and kind of give his version. And I give my version and then we just laugh about it and like, Oh, what if we try this and do this? And, and that's kind of really how it started with that character. I think he did go to, we shot the short film in Preston, Idaho, where the feature, where we shot the feature and that was kind of his hometown uh, for all of his high school years. And so, and it was about a four, you know, three or four hour drive from our, from school. Because uh, we went to school uh, in Utah. And, uh, and the film, Pres and the place, uh, Preston, Idaho, is like right on the border. So it was about a three or four hour drive. We drove up there for a weekend. And Jared had um, done auditions at the local high school for the Pedro, and this was a different actor at the time. And so he did do, like, little auditions for that. But then we do the short film, and everybody loves it. And and when I say everybody, you know, it's, <laughs> it becomes a hit in the college sense. Yeah. All our friends and family loved it, and, you know, the you know our film professors and people like that really liked that, right, really liked it. And we, we got into one festival, but, you know, it's still like, it's a short film. It's a black and white, 16-millimeter uh, grainy uh, film that nobody knows about. Um, and that was really the audition for the feature. When uh, Jared came to me shortly after we made the, sh the short film and said, hey, you want to 
I want to make a feature uh, next summer. And like, we got to do a whole movie of Napoleon. Uh, what do you think? And I was like, yeah, I'm on board. And so I guess <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's how I uh, got involved with uh, Napoleon. And then he properly uh, auditioned for all the other roles except for Kip. The, the role of Kip, who plays my brother, that was played by Aaron Rule, who was a friend of Jared's. And he was another student at, uh, at the college, at the university we went to. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, aside from a few other tiny roles, Aaron Rule and I were the only guys that he was like, all right, he wrote these characters with us in mind. And then everybody else, he, you know, auditioned out of Utah or L.A. That's amazing. And, I mean, the characters themselves are so, so kind of iconic. You look at Kip, you look at Napoleon, you look at Uncle Rico, even Rex Quando, Debbie. They're all just... You want to quote them all the time. You love all the characters. There's no kind of horrible character. I know Uncle Rico's a bit of a, a git, but you still love him. You love the fact he's going yeah. out to work and he's just so his hair and everything he wears is just so memorable. I love it. I absolutely adore it. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> it was, uh, you shot the whole yeah. thing, didn't you, in 22 days? Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, we shot it. I mean, it was, a, it was an independent feature, so we were you know, on a very, very fixed budget and... Um, small budget and time restraints and everything uh i think that's how it goes with most you know small uh, small indie features you know you don't have a lot of time you shoot in a couple weeks sometimes a month or less and um yeah we just all went up to most of us i mean besides the actors that he had hired out of la uh who they flew in uh, almost everybody else was based there in Utah as film students. Uh, all our crew were mostly just friends in the film program. And so we all just went up and camped out in Preston, Idaho for a couple weeks and shot the film and, and had a you know the time of our lives making it. Were you at the time when you're on set and you've got this kind of permed hair and these glasses and these kind of crazy t-shirts with horses on and random characters were you there at any point thinking this is going to do really well or are you just thinking this is just a small little independent film and i'm having fun with my friends were you actually thinking i wonder if this is going to go to the cinema i wonder if this is going to win mtv awards i wonder if this is going to blow up <laughs> um i didn't i didn't get that far it was more of the latter like i knew this is an indie film but, you know, without, even though I was a film student, I still didn't fully have a grasp of, you know, the film industry and exactly how it worked and the scope of it all. And I knew when we were shooting it, I remember thinking, this could be awesome. But I was also, also very aware that nobody may ever see this. This is a small film. This is, you know, for all we know, we may get this on a DVD that just we that we may have that we might try to sell at the local church or something, <laughs> you know like i don't know that i knew that this wasn't a legit film that's going to be in like legitimate theaters yeah i guess i didn't fully understand exactly how uh film festivals worked or you know getting it out there and getting seen and bought and i must have i must have understood that to a certain degree so maybe i thought oh you never know like this will probably be the kind of movie that like is always small 
And yeah, some people see it an art house cinema, maybe. I do remember thinking we always were on set, me and like the crew and the and the cast. We we all would just kind of fantasize and talk about, oh man, this could be you could make toys. I remember I remember thinking very clearly, like they could make talking characters. They should. They should act action figures. Uh, but how funny would it be to have action figures of these guys? And each one would have their catchphrase. And and I remember we we would totally talk about that and, and say, like, it would be great. But I don't think we ever thought this is going to happen. We just thought, wouldn't that be cool? We In a certain world, I could totally see this happening. But I didn't think it actually would. <laughs> so, so what's it like now when there's actual Funkos available? There's plastic toys that say your most famous sayings you can buy t-shirts with vote for pedro it must be insane yeah i mean to a certain degree i'm kind of like yeah i yeah i kind of called it yeah <laughs> I was like, Mix. I, it wasn't it's not so much that as it came out as it became more popular as each new item came out you know with the a talking pen or a talking doll or all the weird random merchandise that came out it wasn't a complete it was a shock that it was coming to becoming real it was coming to life but at the same time this is the kind of stuff we were joking about on set we're like yeah this kind of makes sense i guess i just didn't think it was gonna happen but what oh they're doing that so it was it was in all senses of the phrase a dream come true you know what i mean it's um it was fun. It was a total ride seeing it all happen. And now, yeah, I mean, now it's just kind of like it's kind of solidified itself being, you know, more than 10 years later that it's like, OK, I get it. Yeah, it's a, it's a cult film. It's a cult film. People will always kind of remember, uh, remember this film in its time of the day. It has this timeless feel and uh, people connected to it. And it's great because people always seem to connect to it. People are always showing their kids and, and they're, you know, reintroducing it to a new generation of viewers. And I think it's awesome because apparently like Napoleon just kind of speaks to the characters and especially I think the character of Napoleon and, and it's not just, I guess it's not just Napoleon, it's Kip. Everybody in the, in the film is awkward. Yeah. And those awkward years of youth that and feeling like you're being bullied or feeling like you don't quite fit in or feeling feeling like you have your own world inside your head that makes sense to you, but nobody else gets it. Everyone uh, in any generation, in any, I think, decade can get that. So what was your actual response like and the rest of the crew and your friends? Because no one in a million years, even yourself, who is enjoying the, the kind of fantasy of figures coming out what was it like when this film became a cult huge hit which so many films fail to do let's be honest a cult film to be established now it doesn't happen often yeah we can use the big lebowski as a great example we can use stuff like clerks there's not many you know to get that in the last sort of decade is a huge achievement for all of you yeah it's hard to i think about a lot and i think we're right in a weird um, moment, not just in film history, but in culture. Like, like you mentioned, Clerks and Big Lebowski; those are '90s films. And you know, when you really think of cult films, it's any. It's first of all, it's any film that's been around for a while has to age a bit. Uh, it's got to be older. Um, and so, 
I feel like we're almost at the tail end of being able to do that in a time when it was right at the beginning of social media, but social media still really wasn't. I think, you know, they had Facebook, but we didn't have a Facebook page. We had a website. We were still just using good old fashioned websites, you know, you to help market the film. I mean, you try to imagine a film like this now, and I don't know, would it do the same? Maybe it would. I mean, words can certainly spread much quicker than it used to, but there's also an oversaturation of films, right? Definitely, and I think I think the good thing about Napoleon Dynamite was it was word of mouth. In England especially, I, I remember living with some band friends and one of my friends had the DVD and was like, you need to watch this. We all sat around, it was like, then they told their friends about it, who then wanted to come watch the DVD, and then because it wasn't on in the cinema, we couldn't go and watch it. We had to go and buy it, you know, or get our hands on it, and it'd be then okay. My friend Pete wants to watch it, and my friend Rich wants to watch it, and James wants to watch it, and everyone I knew then started talking about it as if this, it's kind of this little gem, like a hidden little piece of treasure that we wanted to share. And that's crazy yeah. now because you look back and it, now on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you'd just be telling the whole world about it and it'd be on YouTube and you could stream it and all this. But back then it was more of a, you had to work to see it. And then when you had saw it, it was like you, you'd achieve something, you know? Yeah, maybe it was, um, I mean, believe me, I've thought about this a lot and and it is. And yet, I, you know, I don't know. I couldn't exactly predict you know, if it came out now, would it do the same? Because you're right, it'd almost be instantaneously, word of mouth is just quit, much more quickly spread now because you can tweet about it and then everybody sees it. You get one famous person who sees it. Like, for example, right around the time it came out, um, David Letterman, uh, the first talk show I ever did was David Letterman, which was, I was like, kind of jumps right to the top and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I was extremely nervous. Uh, but it was awesome because, you know, here we I am sitting across from him and I've, you know, watched his shows many times uh, for many years. And and here he is kind of trying to make sense. He's like, all right, telling people exactly kind of what you said at the beginning. He's like, I don't know if any of you have seen this. It's a weird movie. I didn't get it the first time. And I had to go watch it a second time. I never do that. But it's great. And he really liked it. And he's telling people to watch it. And I was like, well, that's great. This is David Letterman telling people, and a lot of people watch David Letterman. Um, but, you know, there's for all the people who didn't watch David Letterman, which there's still plenty, it, like you said, it's word of mouth, and it's literal word of mouth. I mean, there's probably some online chat groups, but, you know, most of the stories I get from fans, it's either me and my girlfriend were at the theater and we just saw this weird poster, so we went and saw it, and then we were like, oh my gosh, we have to tell our friends, and and then all over the country, people were always saying the same story as you said. You know, you're either introduced by someone else who says, you got to see this, and you've never heard of it. And you're right, you've never heard it because there's only one website about it. There's no Twitter or Facebook or any Instagram, nothing telling about it. It's either you hear about it from a friend, and, and it's not streaming. We I was going to say, yeah, that we didn't have no Netflix, we no didn't Amazon, have- nothing. Well, we had Netflix, but it was just DVDs. You know, yeah. like we again, we didn't have streaming things sites, and we'd have all these different channels. So the only way you could see it was in the theater, and and so I think giving it a, a that theatrical release was a huge thing for us, and it gave people that special. Um, I think this is definitely a play uh, for uh, an ar- in the argument of 
you know, what's better to have all these streaming services and have movies going straight to your Netflix and watching it at home or going to the movie theater. And of course, a lot of people will argue going to movie theater creates a special experience. As so many people tell me about their special experiences seeing Napoleon in the movie theater the first time and how memorable it was. And I'm not going to remember half the movies I saw, I'll be like, oh yeah, I saw that. I guess I saw that at home on Netflix. Yeah, you know, just while I was sitting at home in my couch. But, you know, theater experience is going to be different. It's going to be, you're giving it a shot. It's much more of a chance and a risk you're taking when you go to a movie because it costs a little bit more money and you're going out. You're getting a babysitter. You're you're going on a date with someone you don't know very well. You know, you're just, you're doing, there's much more involvement. It's much more... um, ingredients to creating uh, a tangible memory you know it's so so true it's it's weird when you say it like it seems such a big thing now for someone to actually go out get dressed meet their friends risk putting their money into a film they've not heard of or they've only seen a trailer on youtube or something and back then you just you, it was a gamble but you didn't mind because you went to the cinema you got out it was a social event and now it just seems too Oh, it's you know annihilation. It's come straight to Netflix. You watch it, and it's just so yeah. dispo- it's just so disposable. You've watched it. It's done. Move on. What's next? You just binge and through people, stuff, you know. And people didn't have as nice of you know entertainment systems. It's weird now that we live. You know. Oh yeah, you can go buy a big old flat screen uh, TV for you know four uh, K TV for pretty cheap, and it's like everybody has these awesome you know home systems but you know back then they were still kind of like you know not everybody has it and you know tube tvs still exist yeah and so you are not only you sing it but then you have these repeat viewing parties people like okay you guys me and so and so just saw this last night you have to see this let's go and they get their group of friends or they get their whole family and they go to the theater and then it's like Instead of going to one person's house and you're all crowded around one tiny TV, you got a whole party with you, and you could do that. You go to the theater and you watch it, and and again, you know, that became this thing that people would tell us. They go back and they loved introducing it to new people because you know any film now, yeah, you want to go see a film, but you know. If you're like, oh my gosh, I just got home. The new Avengers film was incredible. I got to take everybody else to go see it. Well, no, you you know that they've already seen it. Yeah. If they haven't seen it in the first couple, you know, if it's already been out for a couple weeks, then you know they've seen it already. You're not introducing them to anything new. But with uh, Napoleon, it was out in theaters for such a long time, but it's because they would only put it in a few theaters. Like, it started out in a few theaters, and then it started out here, and especially... You know, people were making treks and going, you know, a city or two over in order to see it. Because, um, you know, it, was, it wasn't until, like, I think five months after its initial release date that we, it was kind of spread out in a lot of theaters and it was much more easier. And it was around at the time when it was fully accessible that then they released it on DVD. And so it was kind of good timing and then everybody started great it was a huge dvd seller looking back did you i mean i've spoke to a lot of actors and uh, actresses and i find it quite strange that many people i speak to even the huge huge names never watch back their work are you one of the people that were straight away there to want to watch it back and you sitting there with your kids now watching napoleon dynamite 
I guess it depends on the project. <laughs> you know, it's like obviously the ones you know I'm really proud of and I like. I mean, I try to be happy with most of the work, and I I do. I I've seen, you know, I can safely say for most of my work I've seen. Yeah. Uh, and most of the time it's because you know I want to see how it comes together. I I was I'm, either to some degree I want to be proud of it. I've done some where I'm like, oh, the script is great, and then we shoot it, and you're like, okay, we had the time of our lives making it. So now I want to see how it comes together. And sometimes you'll see, and you're like, okay, I don't need to see that again. You know, or, oh, it's fun, but, uh, you know, like, this isn't for everyone, or I don't know, maybe it'll fall by the wayside, or maybe I'll wait 20 years, and then someone will bring it up, and maybe my kids will be okay to watch it then. That's with some of them, and then other projects, yeah, it's kind of just the waiting it's like Napoleon I have watched with my kids, but it's different with your kids, you know? It's they uh started to get it more now, but when I first watched it with them like about a year ago, they're like they're just like seeing me. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, that's you and they're not laughing as much. I mean they kinda laugh it, but they don't you know, find it as funny because they're just like it's dad. It's not I don't know, you know. But then I've done voiceover. Oh, they love a lot of my voiceover stuff. And they'll sit down. We'll watch. I did a show called Pickle and Peanut. Um, one of the you know best projects I've worked on worked on that I loved. And I voiced one of the main characters, and they love it. We'll sit down. We'll watch that together, and they can't get enough of it. And that makes me like really happy, you know, to see them. And I don't think it's really oh, that's dad. Like, because they don't see me, they're not as distracted by seeing Dad. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. There's a couple of questions about Napoleon Dynamite that I've always had on my mind, and um, it's a very special film to me. I was late for my own wedding because of Napoleon Dynamite. I, um, me and my best, me and my best man at my wedding, we always have any occasion, if it's a birthday or Christmas, we always sit and watch Napoleon Dynamite every time we meet up. It's just kind of a a ritual that we have. So on my wedding day, we were watching it, and you, you always kind of pause it and just have a drink and stuff. And before I knew it, I was supposed to be at the <laughs> at the wedding, and I was late because of your film, which is crazy. Um, there's, there's a couple of things I've always wanted to know. So the first one is, how many takes did it take for Uncle Rico to hit you in the face with his steak? Uh, that took that took a number of takes, and it was it wasn't Uncle Rico. It was you know some you know uh, just. Ge- crew guy who was throwing it um and it was it was tough it was a tough uh take to do because i'm fairly far away i'm moving on a bike and they have to throw it so that it hits me and makes me stop so you're they're having to hit a moving target with a piece of meat in the face <laughs> and it's not a close-up it's kind of a far shot um so it was a really hard one to do. So they kept throwing it. It kept grazing my fro or like slapping the side of my cheek or, well, not even, not even that. That would have been great. It was just, it would always barely miss me. Um, and finally, I think, you know, it must have been like the fifth take. I mean, we didn't have time all day, but oh, of course they knew they had to get it. So it's probably like five or six takes in that because you know we'd have to reset the shot. Yeah, it didn't feel like it was super quick. It was still like, okay, you guys, we got to get this. And then finally, it was actually John Grice who plays Uncle Rico who said, it, "No, no, no, here, let me try it." You know, I'm, it's supposed to be me anyway. So even though you don't see him, but yeah, he gets off camera and he over. I think they would have been careful and were doing underhand throws. 
but he was like, forget this. I used to play baseball, <laughs> kind of like in true Uncle Rico fashion. And yeah, he chucked it. And, and, and his first try, he hit me. Wow. And we're like, all right, that's it. And I tried my hardest to stay in character. I was like, oh, no, don't screw up. Don't break. This is it. And that was the only, after that, we didn't, we didn't need another shot. I'm impressed. I was, I was waiting for you to say like 67 takes or something. Yeah, right. They would have been, Jared, by that, by the 10th take, Jared probably would have been like, We'll just have to use this. We'll have to... Because, again, we, he's like, we don't have all day. We have to move on. Yeah, that's a good point. He probably would have just done, like, a close-up. Yeah. Like, just pulled the camera in way tighter and just have it, you know, hit me from off screen. But that wouldn't have been just funny. The, the other one that's always got me is every time you go and take your bike to take off some sweet jumps, you yeah. must have hurt your knackers uh, a few times because you're hitting that bike with force. That isn't like CGI. I can feel the pain as you're hitting that jump. Well, thank you. That's a testament to my acting. Uh, <laughs> no, I, uh, you know, I mean, everything really was just, you know, on this film, everything was three or four takes at max time. It was just always, you just shoot everything a couple times. So the... I think the jump thing was maybe two or three takes. It's like the first time we did it, either it didn't break, or if it did, it just looked sloppy. But I don't remember doing a lot of takes of anything. It's We did like two, maybe three takes of that. And I did it in a way where it, it was so... The board was scored so much so that it would break just by breathing on it. And so, <laughs> no, I mean, luckily... I almost get bummed when people ask me, like, did you really drink that egg juice or did you really hurt your, you know, thing? And people, I think, want to hear, they don't want to hear the truth because the truth is like, no, it didn't hurt. I, you know, I made it look hurt, but it didn't hurt. Or no, that wasn't egg juice. It was just orange juice. Or no, the time machine didn't really electrocute my balls. Stop telling me this. You're ruining my favorite comedy. I know. I, <laughs> Next, you'll tell me there's no Santa Claus. I just tell people, yeah, you know, you got to stay in the moment. You got to got to be method and do it for real. Jumping over that fence, that hurt. Oh, you know, fuck. Yeah, when he's running after you. Yeah, yeah. That's a hell of a height sure. as well. Yeah, yeah. It was just like, you know, Jared's just like, hey, uh, run over that fence and just run away. So I was like, yeah, I got to make this as kind of awkward and goofy as I can, like clumsy as I can. And I was like, oh, yeah, that hurt. There's this one shot as well that uh, this is how obsessed I think me and my friend Rich are. But there's a shot where you're looking, I think, after the jumps have been taken off and the camera pans out. And as it looks at you, there's a cobweb stuck to your head that's kind of flying in the air. Yeah. Was that (laughs) deliberate or what? Because it just seems so weird. Uh, no, no, I don't think that was deliberate. And I think, again, I don't think anybody really noticed it when we shot it. No. And, and it wasn't until later. I mean, I don't remember if they looked at dailies, you know, where you see the stuff that you shoot the day of. He may have, but knowing Jared, he may have seen him and just laughed and just thought, oh, we'll leave it because we're not going to do reshoots. We don't have time. I mean, again, we had so very little money. That I, he must have just thought, oh yeah, that's funny. We'll just leave it in. Why not? A cobweb hanging out of Napoleon's hair. I think it, it works. Was huge. It was weird. I, I mean, I'm assuming it was a cobweb. I suppose it could have been a 
strand of cotton from costumes. It looks it looks like the biggest cobweb ever, but it just works for some reason. It doesn't. You don't question it. You just go, oh yeah, that's just a cobweb in Napoleon's hair. Yeah, I mean, if anybody's gonna have spiders in their hair, it's gonna be Napoleon. Massively. Who, who knows? It could have been. Like a spider that came from my hair. I didn't wash that perm because it was a perm. You're not really supposed to wash them. So we washed my hair twice in the entire production. I wow. remember those days when I loved it because the hair guy, he would shampoo and wash my hair and it felt incredible. I could feel my scalp breathing um, because we wanted it to look as nappy and as gross as possible. So who knows? Maybe a spider was hanging out in there and was like, oh, I'm getting out of here. This guy's going off jumps. <laughs> it, it would make sense. <laughs> and that was his escape line. Amazing. And you broke it. <laughs> what, what's crazy about your career is your first big acting role was this iconic character that even in 20 more years' time, people are still going to be talking about. You worked on this very low budget with some of your friends that was never really going to take off. Then you went and kind of took a huge jump on Blades of Glory with Will Ferrell. And, I mean, my God, the, the talk about a jump in kind of budget and surroundings and crew. That that was yeah, uh, huge. You, you don't get much different. What, what was that like? Because you, you only just adapted to Napoleon Dynamite in your first major role. And then you're in this big Hollywood comedy blockbuster, which... Let's be honest about it. It, it. it was huge. Working alongside Will, you must have been like, "Is this real?" Yeah, it was. It was the opposite kind of an experience because, in almost every sense of the way, like, well, and I mean, it was still a blast to make, and so that that part wasn't opposite. But it was only just a few years. I mean, you're right. The movie came out in 2004, and we start. I started having conversations about. Blades of Glory in 2005 so it was just like you know a little over a year later um, I was talking to Ben Stiller who produced Blades of Glory and he was kind of the one who got the uh, ball rolling I was just like oh my gosh Ben Stiller Will Ferrell what is going on and and it was an, an you know the entire experience was a pinching yourself kind of experience I was like I this is amazing. I'm just going to have the time of my life and love this. Um, you know, I, I can't believe this is happening. I'm standing. I, I remember the first, you know, moment I met Will, actually, because it was, you know, most of the time you meet and you do table reads and you do stuff like that ahead of time. But we it was actually Bill uh, Ben Stiller, Ben Stiller, who was originally going to play the role uh, that Will played. Um, because it was his production company and they, and he wanted to do it. So it was going to be him and I, and we actually did the table read with, uh, him and I, and a lot of, uh, the cast. Uh, but I, I, I don't, you know, know entirely all the reasons cause he still made the movie, but I think it was a mix of being a little, I think there was a little bit of trepidation he felt on his part about ice skating. I think he was a little worried about the ice skating and, I think a big part was after hearing it in the table read, he felt the character of Chaz was too much like his character from Dodgeball. Yeah. And he, he was very particular about like, I don't want to copy any of my roles. I wanted like, you know, do something different each time. I, I don't know exactly reason, all the reasons why. And I was pretty bummed when he said he wasn't, uh, he, and I think there was also scheduling issues. I'm again, I'm not sure he was always shooting something. So, 
But when he told me he's got, he was like, we'll get someone. Yeah, I think we're going to get Will Ferrell. I was like, oh, okay. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> it's weird now because I can't imagine anyone but Will. It's kind of like, yeah, it's yeah. his no, film, you know. Was, and like I said, it was, you know, so when, after he signed on, it was like, hey, Will, here's a movie uh, you're going to do and you're going to start learning how to ice skate. And so the first time we met was on the ice when we met with our coaches and they were going to start uh, training us. And I was like, so we met literally on the ice and you could see like the uh, anxiety a little bit in his eyes as well, but also like the excitement and I was excited. And so we were both like, it felt like it was equal ground because uh, here I am, like I, I grew up in college and high school watching this guy and think he's one of my favorite comedians. And yet he's looking at me kind of like, Oh my gosh, uh, I can't believe we're about to do this. Like, this is going to be crazy, like weird. Because it's such a funny idea of like an ice skating comedy with two guys. I mean, it's just, it was like so unlike anything, you know, we had seen. That's why when it was pitched to me, I was like, this is a no brainer. Yes. Like, we're definitely doing this. Um, and it was, it was, uh, it was incredible because, you know, I was working with Will Farrell and we were, uh, and when not just Will, but all these other great comedians, it was a huge production and it was like big sets and big, a lot of money put in. Um, so there was, it was a different experience and I wouldn't say it's bad. It's just, you know, like not as much of the charm in some ways was there because as it was in Napoleon, because instead I've got a big old trailer and I'm going in there and, I'm, not, I'm eating lunch by myself sometimes or with my trainer I'm eating lunch with the person who's you know making sure I'm eating well and staying somewhat physically fit because we actually have to play Olympians yeah um, so there was more of that sense of work okay this is work this is uh you know in between shots or this and that we got to get our skates on and go practice and you don't know half the crew's name. You know, most of the crew you don't know. Uh, you don't ever meet because they're either in special effects or they're setting up these rigs. It's just a completely different experience. Whereas Napoleon, you know, I had no trailer. I was taking naps in Grandma's house, you know, where we shot in Napoleon's house. And I knew every single person by name. And it was easy. We were all buds and we were all quoting the movie together. And if there was a problem, everybody knew about it, you know, but this was a big old Hollywood film and uh, Blades of Glory where we, it was, yeah, it was just kind of opposite. And yet again, it was still a blast because the immediate people I had to work with were fun and that was just incredible. That's what I think, I mean, you can't imagine being on set even when you're not shooting with Will and it not being fun, you can just imagine him always wanting to kind of be like a child and just have fun. Yeah, yeah, and I and I loved skating. I loved learning to ice skate was I, I really enjoyed even though it was work getting on those skates and putting on the outfits I was like I'm loving this I thought it was great and I you know I mean it's not the easiest uh, pastime to keep up um, you have to have an ice rink but I still enjoy it <laughs> and, um, and uh, I really I really enjoyed it. I, it was it was funny amazing to work with will i love the skating aspect um it's great 
So obviously after that you did some TV work, you were in stuff like My Name is Earl, uh, which is a, a great comedy. Did you like the element of going into TV or did you prefer the film when you were actually on set and stuff? Was it a much more kind of stronger atmosphere to be around people involved in film because you were used to it or was it quite nice to venture away and do some TV work? I think, uh, I mean, you call it TV work. I've done a few guest spots on a couple of shows, but I haven't done anything, you know, big or like um, regular like a series regular type of role. I would, and I would love to. I mean, when when Napoleon came out, I first got an agent, I first got into the business, this was 2000, you know, the mid-2000s, and TV still wasn't what it is today. Um, and I was still, like, hung up on, like, I want to do movies, and I just want to do movies, but, you know, if something interesting comes along in TV, and nowadays it feels like every, yeah, like, you'd be stupid to turn up, uh, to turn away any tv like that's what we're fishing for that's what we want is a great tv show because a great tv show we all know nowadays rivals any film like the production the the quality of writing the direction everything about so much about you know good i mean knowing the capabilities of good tv now and it's i don't want i don't know if i say it's easier but you just see a lot more good tv that feels cinematic yeah, we're, we're at the golden age right like now, quality. I think. I mean, I could, I could give you, uh, like, an endless list of TV shows that I would say, oh, I would love to have been on that, or I I would love to have been involved in this somehow, like, easily, like, no problem. So, um, but I, so yeah, I mean, the little bit of television I've done, I do, I do enjoy. Um, and I would, you know, again, I would love to do it, uh, to do more of it. Uh, but I, you know, I love, I love both, you know, Obviously, in in our you know binge watching, in this binge watching generation, everybody's talking about the TV shows, and it's you know, all right, what are we going to watch tonight? Well, it's gonna, it's easy, it's whatever TV show we're on you know right now. But every now and then, I'm like, no, honey, we got to watch movies. You know, movies are awesome, and still are kind of my passion. Um, so we'll watch. You know, I I, I love both. So what's the future looking like for you? Obviously, we returned to Napoleon Dynamite via the TV series, so you got to do your voice acting again on a show that you were very, very famous for, which must have been a bit surreal. Yeah. You mentioned at the very start of this interview that you used to make films. Um, would you love to get behind the camera and actually have a go at directing some stuff now? or? I would love that, yeah. I'm really um, trying to figure out how to make that happen. Um I uh, I would absolutely love to direct sometime. Uh, I'm trying to write right now. Kind of want to dive into that a little bit and uh, develop some. I have some te- television uh, uh, projects that I'm trying to develop. Uh, so hopefully the future is uh, you know getting more into television and finding stuff there and getting into directing and doing more. Uh, I love doing voiceover. Yeah, so that's a ton of fun. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and I love, and I still do lots of like, um, almost like once a year or a couple of year, I'll do independent films. And I, I find independent films really are some of my favorite things to do truly like, and, and there's so many different kinds of work I've done voiceover and a good voiceover job is one of my favorite things, but it's so different than so much of the other things I've done. And independent films, I I just truly love doing because most of the time, you know, you're getting with 
it kind of takes me back to the days of Napoleon. You're normally shooting outside of L.A. You're going somewhere kind of fun and cool for a couple weeks or maybe a month. It's kind of like a big summer camp. You know, you're hanging out with all these people. You're stuck with them, the uh, the cast and the crew, and you're getting to know them, and you're hanging out, and you're having fun and making friends, but you're also doing something that pretty much everybody involved is passionate about. It's not just a job. Ind- independent films are less... All right, we're we're we gotta you know make a few bucks and we gotta do this because it's a job because most of the time they can't pay as well in the independent films so you know people are doing it because they want to and they believe in the vision and and in the story and the potential of what this film could be. So the future's looking pretty good. If you get to do all these projects that you would like to do, more voice work, more, more films, definitely directing. It's great if I can do all that stuff. The future's looking great. <laughs> Are you able to put a rumour to bed for me? Because this week on Twitter, we've had Napoleon Dynamite 2 trending at one point. Is this, is this happening, or is it just another bullshit fan-made poster that people are spreading around like we get every few years? Uh, again, unfortunately, I have to bring the bad news to people. Like That's not what they want to hear. Uh, yeah, it's just a fan-made thing. I don't know you know, who made her or why. I guess you know people just do things for fun like uh, it's just probably wishful thinking but then you post something and then everybody sees it even though i'm like well take a look at it you can tell it's fake like i mean that's the original poster why didn't <laughs> we use the original poster well this is like almost almost 15 years later we're not gonna look the same no i mean if we did in napoleon too it'd probably be like how are they approaching i don't think napoleon would look the same unless you know, I don't know how they'd approach a sequel. Does it take place the year after Napoleon, or is it supposed to be, you know, years later? Who knows? Um, yeah, I almost felt like I should get on and officially say that because I'm sick of everybody on Facebook and Instagram and everything's my phone just lighting up with, "Hey, man, is this for real? Is this for real? Is this for real?" I'm like, enough! Get out of my life! I was looking at the poster thinking surely they would have had an updated image of you, probably slightly grey, Kip gone bold. You'd you'd hope Uncle Rico is definitely bold at this point. And, you know, you, there might be La Fonda with the baby. You know, surely there'd be something. They wouldn't just rehash the old poster. It's just, a, I don't know, It's I think people are just clinging on to a little bit of hope. Yeah, there, there's a lot of people who would... Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's still, like, kind of the number one question I'm asked is... You know, is there going to be a sequel? And I think with those kind of films, sometimes they do sequels and sometimes they don't. And uh, and I say these kind of films, the ones that don't really call for a sequel, like like a Big Lebowski or Napoleon or, um, you know, you think a Clerks or something that's just more like it's character based. It's not really about the story. Of course, then again, I guess you could just do Maybe it's easier if it's... I don't know. I mean, they did do a Clerks 2. And they did do a... What was the recent... I mean, they made an Anchorman 2. I remember when that came out, like, that was, to me, like, I quoted that movie all the time. I loved it. And then I was like, oh my gosh, they're making an Anchorman 2. But then Uh, after I watched it, I was kind of like, oh, okay, they kind of... I didn't need that. I wasn't really pining to see what happened to those characters it felt rushed for me i didn't i didn't need it yeah you don't know i mean with yeah is it because we just want to see more do we want to get the same feelings that we got the first time we watched it because now we've heard that but 
Some of it's like, yeah, what new jokes are you going to give to us now? I need fr- I need new material. We need fresh material to requote. Uh, so sometimes, is that what it is? Uh, you know, are we afraid that if we make a sequel, fans are finally going to be sweet, and then they watch it and like, yeah, I mean, we don't really need that, or it's never going to be as good as the original. But some movies, you know, I, I, I mean, I'll say it here. I, I lo- of course, I grew up, I loved uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. You know, and you're like, how do you make a sequel? I mean, I guess you can make a sequel because it's not really a sequel. It's just another movie that's another world with this character. That's really how it should be done. And so the sequel, Big Top Pee Wee, it's different characters, different everything. You just have the same character. And I love it just as equally. I yeah. love that movie. And uh, and so I try to think, you know, if we ever did make a sequel to Napoleon, it would be different. I and think it would have to be different. I think what's <laughs> I so I think what's so difficult about Napoleon is because you're on set and you're filming this film with no expectations to be that big, you'd have so much pressure on you to deliver. Have you have you seen Tommy Wiseau's The Room? You know, yeah, of course I see. Yeah. Like I never want to see The Room 2 because it's so magic because he didn't realise that he was making this another cult classic that now is huge because of the disaster artist. But there's certain films I don't think need it and I don't think Napoleon Dynamite needs a sequel. I don't think The Room would ever need it. I don't want Wayne's World 3. It's been too long. I never want to know now. I'm happy with the way it ends. I just think that you can ruin it and I think leave it. Even though people... Isn't it nice to leave people wanting more? Yeah, that's normally the idea. You're just like, hey... Don't ruin something. If it's not broke, don't fix it. You know, uh, and it's not even that's that's not why sequels are always made. It's you know it's because of money and sometimes because you want to give the fans what they want. But I think if we did another Napoleon, and this is just my opinion, I have not discussed this with Jared, um, but I, I feel like you'd have to do something really different. And it could maybe be the same characters, but I don't know, like just a different approach to the material, a different kind of movie maybe, because, you know, you have to give something that they don't expect. Otherwise, you're doing, I didn't even see it yet, and I want to see it just so I can decide for myself, but when they made Dumb and Dumber 2, I was so, I mean, the first Dumb and Dumber I loved, one of my favorite comedies, and then they come and do Dumb and Dumber 2, and I mean, from what I heard, I heard it's like, eh, not as funny, and it's like, Oh, that's sad, and it's probably just them trying to come back and do the same thing and similar it's, jokes. And- it's tragic because you've got the forty-five-year-old Jim Carrey trying to still be twenty and do the same kind of lines, and it just—it doesn't work. It's—it's—it's it's, it's been too long. It just—they didn't need to do yeah. it, and it's, it's a shame. Yeah, so, yeah, and so that's what I'm like. I feel like either we do that and then it just feels like oh this is sad just watching everybody trying to do the same lines and stuff I think it would have to be either real time like no watch Napoleon now as like a dad or you know something sad like oh this is a weird depressing film and and I'd almost love that more (laughs) like this is Napoleon uh, but he wouldn't say in my opinion he's like he wouldn't be married he'd be like divorced he'd be a single dad who he only gets to see his kids like, you know, he maybe has two kids and he only gets to see them very, you know, rarely because he's just not doing well. 
So it, I, I'm picturing like uh, Napoleon Dynamite meets one hour photo. Yeah, yeah <laughs> something like that. I, I, to me, I would... If, if I was a fan on the, if I was on the other side, I'd be like, "All right, okay, interesting." Yeah, that's what I want. I want something interesting, not just like, "Okay, we've heard." I mean, it's kind of what we did with uh, the cartoon was the sequel. Yeah, that was the sequel. We did there. I mean, it was the same time period. It was supposed to be the same characters, same kind of lines, but it worked. I think really. I think I almost feel like that's how you do it. And I think we could have easily done way more episodes because I thought they were great and they were really funny, and we kept to the spirit of it. But it gave it enough of a, you know, being a cartoon, you could really explore and do different things, um, and it kept it alive. And I think it kept it, um, you know, you put those six. We did six episodes and on. You put those six episodes together, and you've got a sequel. I'm sitting here now thinking, and it's 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 only just on the the kind of heat of the moment but i'm kind of thinking those guys should have done a podcast imagine those characters talking away about their lives now <laughs> that would work wow let's make that happen yeah maybe that's the sequel yeah give it to david lynch let's see what he would do give david lynch napoleon dynamite characters <laughs> that's what I, yeah I mean, like, all right how about you guys co jared you write it david will direct it yeah it'll be really messed up into his life and that's something your kids will not watch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed talking to you today. I mean, it's it's an absolute pleasure. And, uh, you know, I'm so grateful that you gave us Napoleon Dynamite. I'm sure, and be honest with me, do you get sick to death of people asking you to do the the noises and the impressions and the... <laughs> uh, you know, it all... De- I tell this to everybody, it depends on... It's all situational. Yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes yeah. Some, if it's in the wrong situation... And uh, and it doesn't call for it, then I'm like, oh. and then sometimes I have a total blast doing it, uh, where I'm ready and I'm prepared, you know. But if it's like in a really inappropriate moment, and someone's like, hey, do the voice, I'm like, shut up. <laughs> and then I'm like, ah, oh, crap. I just gave it to them. If you ever, um, di- if you ever at a dinner table, just about to eat some food, leave me alone. <laughs> you know what uh, I mean. Yeah, uh, no, I'm pretty good. Most people are considerate enough; they don't bother me. Someone's funeral. Hey, hey, can you do that? Gosh, you know. <laughs> Sometimes I'll I'll try to like yeah, uh, beat them to the punch and just and just like say something. Get out of here! It's what's great about that is I can be rude to people, but if I just put a little Napoleon inflection on it, then they just think I'm doing Napoleon, and then it's groovy, and then they love it. So we both get our cake and eat it too. I can I can be rude to them and they think it's great. <laughs> Did it take a long time to master? Because obviously you do it through the whole film. And when I'm talking to you now, the tone is there. I can hear Napoleon as you're talking to me, but you haven't got the the kind of twang to it when you're talking normally. So was it quite hard to adapt, or was it just easy because you just mastered it? It was. I didn't even think I mastered it. It was just part of my DNA. It was just that's how I. It's my immature version. That's how I talked when I was. Like, if I was frustrated when I was younger, that's basically how I talked. It's how my younger brothers talked. It's just me kind of going back to my youth. And so, yeah, when Jared brought it, that's what I meant by, like, he brought the script to me, and I was like, yeah, I know who this is. This is, like, my younger brothers, and this is me. When I was young, I would get pissed all the time, and my older brothers was like, get off of me, you idiot. And it, it's yeah. just... 
yeah, it was it's just there, isn't it? Instant. How I was. It's really just me. Like it's almost like I put all this work into maturing and growing up over these years, and then I'm throwing it all away when I revert back to my immature young self. As I mentioned earlier, um, my best man at my wedding who watches this film with me all the time is called Richard. Can we give him a shout out in the Napoleon voice? Because he will just listen to this. And I know as he's sitting there now listening to this, he will just absolutely lose his shit if he hears it. Richard, stop sitting at home and eating your butt crusties and get off your stupid anus. It's been an absolute dream to talk to you today. I hope you've had fun. Um, Wish you all the luck. I really, really hope I get to see a film poster soon saying directed by john because i think that would be a dream i think you've definitely got the skills and the experience now and i wish you all the best with everything that you've got coming up thank you so much it was a pleasure so there it is i hope you enjoyed that as much as me you could probably hear how much fun i was having for an hour with him one of the greatest people i've ever spoken to i really do mean that it's funny when you record an interview because you kind of go into it really hoping it would be everything you want especially when it's someone that you kind of idolise and you've watched so many times on screen that you love and if it was a really bad interview or they just weren't really cooperating with you you're just going to be soul destroyed really and heartbroken it's quite the opposite with John I spoke to him like I've known him for years I absolutely loved everything he was telling me it was a real good two-way conversation I really do feel it's my best episode I've done so far if you don't agree that's great but you know I really personally absolutely love this interview Um, it's a highlight for me and a dream come true I just want to say thank you to the people that have jumped on board as well for the Patreon site so it's been a good response I need more don't get me wrong it's a great response so far but this is something I've you know I've got a target in place and we're around 20% of the target at the moment so I'm still needing people to jump on board and help me and like I've said it's the price of a coffee to support me and for a bit more you're going to get some good rewards back uh, some really good prizes are coming up for grabs from Funko and some really cool stuff from Dark Bunny Tea. so stay tuned on that uh, the best way to get hold of me is to go on markandme.com on there we have all the links to Twitter Spotify, Podomatic, iTunes, Facebook, Instagram, and also my link to Patreon. So if you did want to throw me a few bucks, jump on there and it's very much appreciated. It's quite scary that I'm now coming up to episode 30. Um, It blows my mind. I didn't really think that I would get that many done. It was one of those things I'd do now and then, but at the moment I've got guests coming in all the time, so I'm pretty uh, stacked up with episodes for yours. That's all good news. Uh, I just want to finish by dedicating this episode, as I said, to one of my best friends, Rich. Uh, He was my best man at my wedding, and this film means a lot to us. It's something that we've bonded over, and our love for this film has grown and grown. And I remember sitting there with you, Rich, and joking that this interview could happen, and it has. So I'm going to dedicate this to you. I love you, dude, and I hope you've enjoyed it. And for everyone else out there, I love you all too, and I'll speak to you all again in a couple of weeks' time. (laughs) 